Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I'm DM Mitch. And today we have Sam from the Games As Lit YouTube channel coming on to take us to school on Shadow of the Colossus in a new series we're calling From Console to Campaign. There's so much knowledge that gets dropped in this one. <laughs> you are not ready. Yes, we're going to talk, have a lot of great discussion on the game, on the theme of the game, on the creatures in the game, which are the Colossus. Which, speaking of the Colossi, if you are a gold Patreon dragon, then you can head on over to Patreon this week and download a Colossus Challenge Encounter that was inspired from our discussion in this episode created by me, DM Mitch. And also, you can head over, and if you are a Silver Dragon and up, as always, you have some creative control of what we do next. So for our next Console 2 campaign, you can vote between Zelda, Ocarina of Time, Darkest Dungeons, and God of War. I don't really care which one you choose because I love all of them. But They're all fantastic. Yes. They'll all be great discussions. And speaking of things that are great, Neil, we have some five-star reviews our first one coming from DM Sam I am so inspirational five stars. This podcast is a great tool to help DMs run a creative story for their players. Every episode is helpful and informative. Thank you for dedicating your time to make this wonderful show. Thank you, DM Sam I am. We love doing the show and we will continue to do it because of listeners like you. Yes, thank you. And our next one is from is from Concerned789. Uh, I've always worried because 789. And they entitled it Most Useful Podcast I Listen To. Five stars. I am new to the DM side of the table, and it is a bit overwhelming building your own world from scratch. But these guys make it so much easier. Whether it's actual campaign ideas or just helping to organize the DM's thoughts. These guys know what they are talking about and are fun doing it. Keep it up and thanks so much, guys. Well, no, thank you. And yes, hopefully Seven can get it under control and not eat <laughs> Nine a second time. Calm down, Seven. Speaking of eating things, Neil, you know what time it is. Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat's back on the menu, boys. So today on The Meet, we have a very special guest with us about a super interesting topic, and we're getting into a new series called Console to Campaign. And today we have with us Sam Gronseth, a.k.a. The Game Professor, the creator of Games as Lit 101 on YouTube. Sam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Really happy to to have you here. It's kind of cool when I reached out to you. Just so happened that you were like, hey, I actually played Dungeons and Dragons, so this is perfect. Yeah. So you're here. Uh, you're here to talk about Shadow of the Colossus with us. But before we do that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, my, my name is Sam. I'm, a, I'm living in Tennessee with my wife right now, but I'm originally from a small town in Northern California called Paradise, which, if that sounds familiar, it's probably because it got wiped off the map by the campfire a couple months ago. So, and uh, yeah, it just, I mean, you know, I, I love 
all kinds of storytelling things, I guess. Like, my, my love of video games and movies and pretty much everything started when I was a kid and loved reading. And then I just kind of, over time, brought that same love of stories into my enjoyment of everything else. And, of course, when I eventually moved past all the uh, anti-Dungeons and Dragons propaganda for my evangelical upbringing and tried out D&D, um, you know, I'd, I'd fall in love with it as a kind of collaborative storytelling effort. I think you are not alone in the in yeah. that background yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons Satanic Panic still carrying oh, yeah. weight today. So, Oh, for sure. <laughs> Hide all your books. The question we want to have, though, is I... I mentioned you are the creator of Games as Lit 101 on YouTube, but can you tell us more about that? Yeah, well, basically, it started as a senior project in college, actually, trying to um, design a literature course about video games rather than books. And um, I managed to do that and then actually was lucky enough to get to adapt it into a high school course and teach it for a couple years, which... I mean, I wish that I realized I would love teaching as much as I did because I didn't go to school for it. I don't have the credentials necessary to turn it into a career, but I absolutely loved it. So, you know, right right now my wife and I are working on a, getting to a place financially where I might be able to pursue that career path in the future. But, um, you know, for now, once we moved, I wanted some kind of way to continue doing that, you know, and I figured that a an educational YouTube series was at least some kind of way to keep an element of that in my life. So I adapted a lot of the lessons from my course into YouTube videos and, uh, you know, it turned into Games as Lit 101, which I've been enjoying doing a lot. It's changed a lot as, you know, my life changes and all that, of course, but it's it's been a lot of fun to do. It's just an educational series about storytelling in video games with uh, various episodes about certain concepts and some occasional like very long form episodes digging deep into one particular game's story and uh i I enjoy doing it and a decent amount of people enjoy watching it so (laughs) it's really interesting and you dive really deep into like you said the stories that are around the video games uh even for some video games like the one we're talking about today you have a video of shadow of the colossus which we'll get into it but is a very minimalistic story yeah. But there's a lot to be looked at, um, which, of course, we'll get into. Also, uh, I'll recommend checking out your videos on The Last of Us because you do a really great job delving into that as well. Oh, thank you. All right, Sam, we have a surprise question to wrap uh, the interview section up for you today. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, Patreon Dragon G. And G asks, would you rather play Dungeons & Dragons with a group of authors, scriptwriters, playwrights, actors, voice actors, musicians, singers, composers, artists, etc. or with a group that has a mixture of those people. So basically, would you like to play with like a group of all actors, uh, or oh. all voice actors, or all musicians, or and if that's your answer then we need to know what is the group that you like most what is the group that you'd most play with? Um, right or a complete mix of those professions i mean i'd have to say my answer would be a a mix just because i'm real interested in seeing what different types of D players bring to the table and i would be very very fascinated by specifically how each of them plays differently based on their profession that said if i were to choose a group of all one profession Oh man, I don't know what I'd go with, but that's <laughs> sorry that that question fascinates me enough that even though my answer is a mixture, I'm really curious what yeah. I would do if it was all one profession. Both answers are like really 
amazing because yeah you can go with the mixture and like everybody's able to really add their own elements to it but then to have like yeah a whole table with like all these authors or all musicians like can also especially like choosing a campaign that you know an all musician bard campaign which there is a podcast out there we've had kyle from bombarded on oh man i've been meaning to listen to that (laughs) because that's such a great idea Both it's both so answers could be right. Uh, but I'll think about that, and if I randomly burst into the podcast with you know musicians or something, <laughs> that's why. That we'll we'll know what you're going for then. Perfect. <laughs> so with the interview out of the way, and G, thank you for that question. We're going to jump right into the meat, talking about Shadow of the Colossus. And I think the most ridiculous thing we have on the outline is a quick discussion <laughs> on what is Shadow of the Colossus. Oh boy, uh, I don't. I don't know that we are capable of doing that, but we will give it our our best effort right now. Um, I mean, I'm definitely going to throw this out there. I've never played the game. Ooh, Neil. Rough day. But I am ready to be convinced as to why I should be playing this game <laughs> immediately. Well, good, because it's one of my favorite things ever like favorite games yes but favorite just things in general i love it a lot (laughs) so sam if someone like neil who has never played shadow of the colossus was to ask you what's this game about what would be a quick a quick synopsis you would give of shadow of the colossus quick synopsis he says to the guy that made a 40 minute video about (laughs) it oh boy okay so essentially it's a game a fantasy game about a young boy who takes the body of a dead girl to the altar of some kind of deity and essentially says i will do whatever it takes if you bring her back to life and the deity tasks him with defeating 16 gigantic monsters that are wandering this forbidden land and the whole game is essentially just riding around on your horse and journeying to the locations of each of these monsters. There aren't any small enemies to be fighting or anything like that along the way. It's just this quiet, peaceful, pretty much dead land that you're journeying across until you get to each of them, at which point it's it's not like, you know, a lot of action games where you're, you know, just hacking away at their feet or whatever. You have to actually climb the things and figure out how to get to their weak spots and stuff like that. It's one of the most epic things I've ever played, absolutely, but also one of the more subversive because it's... I I wouldn't want to spoil it if I was explaining it to someone who has not played it, (laughs) but it's not... It doesn't feel good to kill these things. It feels like you're doing something wrong, and, you know, in in the end, the game does certainly take a bit of a different turn than you would expect from a, you know, hero slaying the monsters and saving the girl narrative, and... Yeah, it's very minimalistic, but it's one of the more deep and meaningful games out there, commonly used as an argument that games are an art form, as though that's an argument we still need to be having. And yeah, it's it's just, it's a, it's a very unique, like there's not really anything else like it still. And it's a very, very good one. It really is, it's a game where there are boss fights, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really beyond that in this forbidden land in fact i think the only living creatures besides the classes that you run into are going to be lizards uh-huh. <laughs> and uh the occasional bird like the the falcon that uh follows you and your horse around yeah in the story we get a couple more people that happen uh later on in the story and i'm sure we'll touch on that 
Um, but they don't they don't come from this land. This land is completely, as you said, devoid of other dangers. So it's just boss fight after boss fight after boss fight, which to mm-hmm. some people might sound boring um or or devoid of like wow why wouldn't you put like something in between there but uh it really does add to the i want to say majesty of the game yeah it it helps that it is a gorgeous game even on the original ps2 like it's since been ported to the playstation 3 with higher resolution and 3d compatibility which is a thrill i'll tell you that um and to the ps4 with just upgraded graphics in general but even the original ps2 version is it's just gorgeous and like it has such a, a cinematic feel when you're just riding across these giant planes and landscapes and stuff it's it's just a very beautiful experience that is either peaceful and beautiful or intense and dangerous at any given time and it's it, like i said it's, it's something special <laughs> let's jump into talking about the world of shadow of the colossus and the inspiration that we can pull from this game the world building along with I mean, the storytelling and pretty much everything else about Shadow of the Colossus is very minimalistic, but it, it it's a facade over a lot of depth. So if, if we're wanting to talk about how um, the world of Shadow of the Colossus is built, then it'd be hard to do that without, without mentioning that minimalism and how what you know of the world of Shadow of the Colossus you mostly know by picking up, you know, context clues from the game's very minimal dialogue or largely just seeing you know some of the architecture and locations within this place most of what you can actually surmise from it is just picked up by your surroundings which i feel like would probably be fairly difficult to do as a dm but is is certainly an interesting thing to take inspiration from and i'm sure players would find it interesting the minimalism in itself as you're saying is is something that as a dm we can bring into our own worlds. Uh, Even if minimalism doesn't necessarily mean there isn't information there, but you don't need to give all the information by adding certain elements. You will come across ruins in Shadow of the Colossus, and there's no explanation of where these ruins came from, who lived there before, but you can certainly see these ruins and have this question. I know Dark Souls is another game that really relies on... I was thinking about that too. Yeah, yeah. like you you don't get the lore of Dark Souls while you play the game, really. You can go and look it up on on the internet afterwards and get a lot of lore. <laughs> Same thing with Magic the Gathering, like the as a card game. Like there's there's not a lot most people who play Magic the Gathering don't know a lot about the lore. There is lore there, but you really have to dive deep. In a Dungeons and Dragons world, in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, feel free, I would say, to add spectacles to your world that while you're playing that certain adventure, there may not be an answer for. You're uh, adventuring party passes a mountain and on that mountain is a rotting corpse of a giant of which the size you've never seen before. I mean, that's something they're going to notice. Does it have anything to do with the venture going on right now? Is there going to be answers if you go and search that rotting giant's corpse? Maybe not. Maybe that'll come in later down the line, another adventure. But adding elements in to just add to the beauty of the world and mystery of the world as well. I I mean, for me, I think hearing about the minimalism and the depth that is there, like using that as inspiration to set up the way your campaign runs is really, really beautiful in the way that like 
let's be, let's all be honest with each other. You know the person that just wants to go. They want to kill a big monster. I watch some stuff on Shadow <laughs> of the Colossus. You stab it right in the head. A whole bunch of blood flies out. And like maybe that's all that player wants. But the other player is like, who who built these ruins? Why were they here? How long have they been here? Like, why are we killing these colossi in the first place? Maybe the first one, we're not questioning it. But after the third one, maybe they're, you know, the, which I know because I've, I've watched videos on this you know and that morality starts to come into question and i think again that another great piece of inspiration of just because you think you're doing the right thing doesn't necessarily mean that that's true absolutely one of my favorite things in general as a dm is when i introduce some kind of element that has unknown things about it or an air of mystery and all of the players immediately start like talking about it and trying to figure out what it is because you know you, you know that you've introduced something that they're interested in at that point and that's i i think one of the one of the major things that you could get from trying to draw inspiration from shadow of the colossus here is is inserting elements that they won't necessarily have answers for now maybe even ever but that is making them think about the world and think about their actions in ways that they might not have otherwise if you presented everything in a more straightforward manner i'm really glad that you brought up sam like the minimalism and the mystery behind the lore to start off with. Cause I, I don't think that we could touch on anything in this game and the world building without bringing that up because literally like everything in this game, it, there's a mystery behind it. There's you really don't, even the game starts off and you don't get like an origin story for how did this girl who your character wanderer is bringing to this temple? How did she die? We don't know uh -huh. who was wanderer. We don't know. What is this temple? Who is this God doorman? We don't know. We just got to start fighting some Colossus who maybe we can transition to talking about these Colossus, but we don't know what the Colossus are or where they came from or why they came to be, which yeah. in itself is super mysterious. And to me, I, I want to know, I want to like, I, as if I was a player in this campaign where these creatures, these ginormous creatures were introduced I'd want to know, like, what's the story here? Maybe that's the story that is inspired from this game is finding out how these creatures in your world came to be. One of the things also that I think would pose an interesting, a uniquely interesting challenge if you were to adapt an idea like this into a campaign is that Shadow of the Colossus, like a lot of other games that pull a bit of a moral bait and switch on you, thinking of like Spec Ops The Line and Bioshock, is to some degree dependent on the player not thinking about it too much. Because when you, I mean, you know, when we play video games, we're used to, it gives us an objective, we go do it, that's how we move forward. That's just, you know, a lot of times we don't really think about whether we're doing the right thing or whether this thing we're doing makes sense. And Shadow of the Colossus very much uses that. It gives us these things to do and we're like, cool, I'm going to go do it. And it's only as we continue doing it that we start thinking, actually, should I be though? And I feel like for the most part, in my experience at least, my players have been a little more thoughtful than that. Because Dungeons & Dragons has so much more of an open-ended feel to it that there's not quite as much that feeling of, you know, oh, well, it said we're supposed to do this, so that's what we're going to do, and that's the right thing, <laughs> as pervades a lot of video games. So it, it would be interesting to see what extra steps you would have to take to make that convincing you know to make the players slay all these proverbial colossi 
without necessarily having them recognize right off the bat as soon as it all starts that this is probably going to come back to bite them in the butt later, you know? So diving into these these classes and like we've got this foggy origin story of where they are. We've got these beasts that are I like there's a part of me that wants to describe them as golems because they're they look like they're half building to be honest yeah. uh, architecture but then they also they also have skin they have hair growing off them even though the hair some of them do anyway even though the hair might be more plant light like mossy yeah, kind of mossy yeah yeah to it um but there is this in between of like living and something that is man-made to its which also really gets us further into the mystery of these creatures but the question i do want to ask with these classes so in this game it's it's been said you you literally have to climb on these classes you have to find their weak points you have to it's it's really the classes are really a setting more than they are a monster that a boss battle that you have to take down so how would you as and neil uh sam how would you do a battle like this in your world rather than having like a statted out monster roll for initiative. What's, or maybe is that how you would do this battle, but how would you give that feel of the size of this beast in a battle? Kill one of your players. (laughs) (laughs) A foot comes down and squish. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Well, we've established that. Uh, Okay. Now roll for initiative uh, while you roll up a new character. No, I think, and yeah, surprise, I was watching, I don't know if you guys have heard of this recently, but there's this great series on YouTube called Games is Lit 101. <laughs> and I was watching this uh, this episode about Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, that totally derailed my own personal thoughts. Uh, but that's what I was doing. It, But you have to look at it as more than just a monster. Like that's, that's a key component, especially when you're looking at, you know, in the Colossi, because there is that like puzzle level element to it as well i mean so there there has to of course be some element of actually fighting it and you know and rolling to attack and things like that but there needs to be either skill checks uh and in some way and i think another thing is having a lot of lead in because you could easily i mean definitely don't take the advice that was tongue-in-cheek like you could certainly kill your players to establish something because of how large it is and maybe that's the way that they learn that you need to do your research you need to figure out how to attack this thing or you're just gonna die choose a beloved npc uh not a player i'm just saying <laughs> there you go yeah that's that's the way to do that <laughs> yeah i'm trying to figure it out from like a, a very practical perspective how because like I, I tend to use battle maps in my own um campaigns and it seems like it would be hard to make a battle map for such a constantly shifting and rather vertical yeah. setting like this. Although to imagine a battle map like that's a giant that would be amazing, but yes. It could be pretty cool. It seems yeah. like it would be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure necessarily how it would be done on just, you know, a flat map with wet erase marker stuff drawn on it. I mean if you wanted to go invest in one of those, you know, super expensive like set dungeon things and that that could maybe do it but that seems that that'd be tough i think there'd have to be a lot of theater of the mind stuff and um he was right about checks i agree with that entirely lots of that sort of thing because the the colossi are more 
platforming and puzzle challenges than combat challenges, really. I'd say that maybe the better way to do it would be to make it it would be to expand the scale even more. Like, some of the Colossi, most notably the last one, are big enough that they do feel a bit more like a relatively straightforward platforming challenge, a lot more jumping and climbing and stuff, as opposed to hanging on for dear life while it's trying to shake you off of its head. And so maybe something like that that's that's larger, like... I mean, if we want something that's easier on a two-dimensional battle map plane than, like, a giant sea turtle kind of thing could perhaps be relatively easily done where they're needing to travel to certain places and damage it or something. I, I'm real interested in how you'd make the vertical ones happen, though, because I'm not really sure. But no matter what angle you look at it from, you know, when you start adding that third dimension, you know, well, okay, my character is flying 30 feet above this this and that. Uh, so getting some of those things, I think, would be really helpful You know, if you're on kind of the ground level, if you're near the waist, if you're near the chest, if you're on the head, and having those platforms that you use when you have characters that are flying. Um, I think that would be a really interesting way to do the vertical aspects. And you, I mean, the really over-the-top version would be, you know, something that you can actually take apart. But I don't, I don't know about all that. <laughs> yeah, that starts getting expensive and difficult. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys have hit it right in the head that there would have to be, it would be like a skill challenge to be able to, to scale these, these Colossus to be able uh, to get to or to hold on as it's, uh, as you said, Sam, like trying to shake you off of its back. And besides skill challenges, I think that the one thing that really like makes my mind start running with ideas is the the element which you both said of it being a puzzle part of it. In every single battle in this game with the Colossus, there's an element of a puzzle. And some of them are more difficult than others. Some of them, it's just like, all right, I, I have to hold my sword up, pinpoint that weakness. I found the weakness. All right, now I just got to scale this thing and kill it. There are other ones which are a lot harder to figure out uh, with the puzzles. You run into the first flying Colossus. You have to learn that you have to shoot it with the arrows to get it to come down and to then jump on top of it. One of the more frustrating puzzles in the game for me was uh, the Colossus, the first smaller Colossus that you fight, where you have to learn that it is afraid of fire. And the only real clue that you get is that in the environment that it's in, in the temple that it's in, there are four pillars with burning torches on them that you have to light a torch and move towards that Colossus and then topple it off of a off of a wall. Spoilers. Sorry for anybody who hasn't played yet, Neil. You'll forget you know, by the time you play it. But but like there write that down. Light torches, push off cliff. Got it. But beyond just being a, a simple battle, like these are puzzle elements that you can add to make this battle seem more grand in scale. And it there can be these puzzles that you figure out where if you weren't to figure this out, this creature is an indestructible colossus. And this is why no one has taken it down. But you and the hero, the heroes that are part of your adventuring party, now it's up to them to figure out how do we bring this creature down? How do we defeat it? And it's going to be like we've, like we've all said, skill checks and puzzle figuring out. This might be a, a minor sidetrack, but what you were saying about that one reminded me also that there's a big element of the game. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about is a major pillar of Fumito Ueda's games in general, um, including Aiko and uh, The Last Guardian. But this 
that element uses with that small colossus there's an element there of using the mechanics as um as fuel for your feelings toward all of it also because you know there's very sad music that plays whenever you kill one of these and watch this giant beautiful creature just come crashing down to the ground and all that sort of thing but this is the first time that it fe like you get the fire out and the thing like hunkers down and backs away like it's a scared puppy or something and you feel like an absolutely terrible person for doing this to it and I, I think that's probably a valuable thing to take away from it if you're, if you're trying to approach a campaign from that angle also is the use of yeah, using the way that these battles need to play out as a way of increasing the player's guilt like actively making them do something that they don't feel good about in order to do what they're doing here and that's probably gonna go differently at a D&D table than in a video game because it, I, I think you said it at the beginning Sam but like with this element of not knowing what these colossi are not knowing why this god Dorman his powers have been locked into each of these colossi in the first place I think most players are going to be like uh wait hold on we need to have more information here yeah. rather than just Go start killing Colossi. This is where a video game, you don't, like, if you go, oh, I don't know if I want to kill these Colossi, well, you're not progressing in the video game. You're just sitting there, yeah. like, with a controller on the floor. Like, the game, with just the mechanic of it being a video game, if you want to progress, you have to do these things. Uh, in a role-playing game, it's a lot different and a lot harder, maybe, to go why are we doing this? Yeah. From a narrative perspective, that's one of the main differences here is that Shadow of the Colossus is a, the story of Wander. And yeah. you are implicit in that narrative by, by taking control of this character and doing all of it. But it's still not your story. It's his. Whereas in a, a tabletop RPG campaign, it's inherently the, the party's story just all, all the time. So, like, maybe this is a great place to transition to that story and talk about the story inspiration. So, let me ask you, Sam, you're talking about Wanderer's story. Why is it, like, in this story, why is it that Wanderer is willing to go and kill all these colossi? For this god who, it doesn't, we don't get this feeling whether he knows who Dorman really is or knows that much about Dorman or Dorman's power or Dorman's morality. Why does he go and do this? Well, we're going to get deeper into spoiler territory here, so I'll, I'll just <laughs> throw that warning out. This is an incredible game and you should go play it. But we don't... Uh, like was mentioned... You know, as we've talked about before, a lot of the details of the backstory are unknown. We don't know exactly what the relationship between Wander and Mono is. We don't know... Uh, like All that we really know is that she was killed because she had what the game... What Wander describes as a cursed fate. And uh, there are a lot of theories about that. Some theorize that it's a, you know, typical boy saving his lover story. Others uh, believe that she could be his sister or that uh, she was killed in some kind of ritualistic sacrifice and that Wander was the one to do it and he's racked with guilt. And is, like, there are a lot of ideas about it, but nothing is confirmed. All we really know is that th this is essentially, this story is a tragedy of conviction and dedication even in the face of doing great evil this is wander being so determined to bring her back for one reason or another that even as he is essentially like decaying and clearly being used for evil purposes he still does it and does not at any point stop to consider the consequences to himself and he says early on as well 
Dorman says something about how this could have great consequences for him, and he just says, I don't care. This is, you know, this is what I'm going to do. So it's not known exactly what fuels his determination, but that is essentially what the story kind of turns on, is this one kid's act of such reckless, selfless love that he unleashes something dark. Which, again, is why it's, you know, players are unlikely to have quite that same uh, single-minded determination. They're, they're going to be thinking about it a little more, as opposed to, you know, video games where we've kind of been trained to follow the objective markers. So <laughs> That blows my mind right now. You know, and the, the idea that, you know, in this game is, you know, and we're, well, what, 14, almost 15 years old and when it originally... But then, like, the way that the story is still still discussed, like, this could have been someone he loved. Well, I mean, clearly it's someone he loved. But, you know, like, your significant other, sister, was it his fault? We don't know. Yeah. Like, that, just pure, pure insanity. But hearing you talk about it, I think two things come to mind from a story perspective. Either, one, this is certainly not your first chapter when you're, when you're starting a D&D &D <laughs> That's I don't, true. <laughs> I just don't see... Uh, like the viability of that idea, but then having someone or some things that the players could be so invested in that you could start them down this road. Hmm. And, you know, and definitely I think you could get into a place where you could have them do kill one, two colossi and not question it. But then in that third start to wonder, why are we, why are we still doing this? That sort of thing. The other thing I thought from a story perspective was potentially having a smaller group would be a really good way to have this so that motivation could potentially hit home harder because you're not trying to motivate six people maybe you're vote motivating two or three people uh, and then you know because you have that element of these mechanics are geared towards skill checking and yeah some attacks and things like that but you know changing the like that pillar of combat to be something a little different i think would work really well for a smaller group that's such a good idea like maybe that this isn't maybe this isn't the campaign maybe this is part two of a campaign or like the campaign after a campaign but as a dm you really have to figure out well what is it that leads up to this becoming a reality like you're saying who dies that your players would love so much like we've established like there's two emotions that i think are pro are driving wander in this story potentially it's either guilt like you said sam just like extreme guilt or it's it's extreme love to the point where it's like i will do anything i do not care what the consequences to the rest of the world are i have to save mono i have to save this girl whatever relationship and so it's like who is it in this story that dies whether that's one or two or more people uh or there's just a tragedy or something that either makes your pcs feel that guilt or that love that they will little literally do anything and i think we we want to be careful as dms here not to set up an entire campaign for failure that leads into like this cool idea we have of a shadow of the classes campaign where the pcs <laughs> all get to the end and oh you didn't save the city actually because of your actions uh all of the city dies so what are you going to do about it now when i like you don't i wouldn't say set it up that way but I think that you want to have you want to have player buy-in 
you want like players to maybe they even like you even talk to them if this is going to the campaign maybe it's the background of like okay what happened to get us to this point that your characters are so willing to cross lines that you've never crossed in order to save someone or something what is it that gets us there and that's a big challenge from a dm perspective too just because you have to they have to care a lot and that's a thing that you can have happen of course but if you fail at that you know like if you had a character or a city or whatever who dies and it's their failure then you're, you're counting on them caring about it enough that they would do something like this so it's essentially a very long game in terms of uh, not not like a long campaign but like a long a long plan on the part of the dm in terms of making sure that there's something that everyone's connected to enough to do this and that's you know the the sucky thing about it is just that that if they don't get connected enough to that then all of that lead up essentially doesn't effectively lead to what you're trying to get it to lead to so you'd have to really do a good job of making sure the players are in love with whoever this is before actually trying to pull that setup and setting up your world in in a way that it works too the typical mm -hmm. D, D world it's honestly not that hard that we're setting up in this shadow of the classes story to bring someone back from the dead so right. it needs to like maybe that's something that you're gonna have to change up of like yeah resurrection doesn't happen as often in this world maybe you already have a world that that works with and resurrection is such a rare thing or maybe just it doesn't happen at all that when given that opportunity of no we can bring this person or people back or change how these events occurred yeah that's where it's like oh my gosh like will i do what it takes even though what it takes is terrible and awful uh, and you touched on this sam that that music that happens when you bring down a Colossus is the first real hint we get <laughs> that something terrible and awful is happening. It's, it's, it's sad. And the, when you're in the middle of a battle with these Colossi, when you're climbing, uh, I always think of the gladiator, the one with the big stone sword, when you're yeah. climbing up the top of it and the music is triumphant and you're like, oh, yes, man. this is amazing. And you're so such into a great it. Soundtrack. You don't, you don't even take the second to like zoom in and like, just look at the face of the thing. And there's like an innocence in the face of these, a lot of these creatures. There are some aggressive ones, but a lot of them don't even attack you. It's just uh -huh. you climbing up them and bringing them down and killing them. And you get the, you get the sad music. And then afterwards you get this darkness coming out of these creatures and going into Wanderer, which really just, yeah, alludes to the fact that you're not doing the right thing here. You're doing the selfish thing, the thing that's based off of guilt or love, but you're not doing the right thing. So it's, it's not fighting a Colossus, uh, but it really, that whole idea of like doing the selfish thing, doing the thing for, for this love of a person or people or trying to fix something from your past. I mean, there could be a whole number of campaign ideas based around that. You just, what is, what is the good thing that you're a, you're willing your characters are willing to bring down in order to get what they want. And what they want could be at its core, there's a pureness there, but I even thought of like, all right, so what if someone you love died and were restricted access to your world's heaven? 
what angels or gods we're talking Colossus, right? A God itself would be a crazy battle. Are you willing to bring down even slay to change the fate of a loved one? There are all these different types of stories that we could have open up with this question of you're not on a good adventure, but you're on an adventure that is based on love, even though every, every step along the way is not going to be a pleasant one. You know, it occurs to me that could make this a very interesting yeah. setup for an evil campaign. A lot of the ones I've heard of are evil, basically, just so you can go around and have fun rampaging everything. But setting up an evil campaign that essentially does actually have that whole, like, the villain is truly convicted that they're doing the right thing set up. And for that matter, like you were mentioning, gods, it'd be interesting to have it set mm. in a, a different plane, like the celestial plane or something. But it, I could see this being an interesting setup for, for an evil campaign, and that would essentially provide the the reasons for the players doing what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, and both of you talking about deities made me think of another key element to kind of make this story happen is Dorman is a big piece. You need, you. I mean, I would think you would need a Dorman-like equivalent and figuring out how to plant those seeds if we're still looking at this as like kind of the second chapter to a campaign of who is that Dorman and why would anyone care? Because you know, as much as they would need the motivation, there needs to be some element of trust that this, you know, your Dorman substitute would give them anything. Uh, and so the one I thought is, you know, is hyper dependent on party composition. But I mean, if you had a warlock, woo, you're good to go. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, uh, yeah. You're like the patron would just be like, oh no, I got this. I can help out. And so then you have you almost in a way have one one of your players giving credence to this entity that is saying like oh well no if you do x y and z we can get this figured out for you but then you know planting those seeds of who or what that would be i think is another important element long game definite long game uh to make <laughs> to pull this off mm -hmm. that warlock is an amazing idea of a, a like just a, a way to introduce part two of the campaign you're facing this disaster and the warlock hears a whisper in his ear from his patron. And then the warlock goes to the rest of the group and says, I know how we can fix this, but you're not going to like it. Fade to black. Season two begins. We have this <laughs> new adventure, right? But <laughs> Neil, you also touched on this thing that I hadn't thought about this entire time. That to me is like one of the greatest role playing aspects of a story like this with these things thematic elements is having more than one PC because in Shadow of the Colossus we have Wanderer and we have his horse and they are traveling across these plains he's not speaking to his horse except when he's calling for him aggro come over here but <laughs> but beyond that they ride in silence to go fight these colossi and they bring these colossi down there's no one to talk to along the way if you are doing this super gray morality campaign and you're with other PCs who are tied into it. Either you all went through the same event together or you've been tied together to accomplish this goal from different, different faults of your own. Like what is the conversation that you and the rest of the PCs have on your way to taking down whatever these colossi in your world are? Are you all in like Wanderer or some of them having doubts, 
some of them like having to reassure each other like there's some really interesting conversation that's going to happen around the campfire yeah the campfire conversations now that you bring that up are something that i would look forward to most i think you'd have some real good interesting conflict between players as it starts to become clear that this is a little more morally complicated than you'd think and it would it would be kind of tough to foster that without um you know npcs to talk to or give exposition or anything like that but it could if you were willing to plan out that you know sort of environmental storytelling on a level of games like shadow of the colossus or dark souls or something it'd take a lot of work but it could be very interesting if you do it well especially considering their you know like perception checks and insight checks and stuff that, that maybe they would have to do to fully understand something so they might come out of it with more or less information than they could theoretically that's the beauty of shadow of the colossus everyone that has gotten close enough gets a fun moment where they go huh and they have to think like about all the information that's going in there which we have provided a ton but i want to go around and kind of like toss out like our our like final thoughts if there's anything we didn't cover or just want to make sure to hit home on the only big thought i can think of that i haven't really expressed yet and i don't know if we're like allowed to do this since this seems to be pretty specifically <laughs> about dungeons and dragons but I kind of wonder if this is one of those things that might be even better suited to a different um, system. I, I, I'm thinking specifically of that uh, Monster of the Week system. It's kind of more focused on finding out information about the enemy and bringing it into a plan that you can form to then try and enact. And that seems like it might be built a little more in such a way that directly contributes well to this kind of setup. Um, I mean, not that you couldn't make it work in D&D, obviously, but... Yeah, the last thing that I would say that we didn't get to cover is there's there's so much more to these games, even with the minimalistic story, than appears at at first glance. One of the most interesting things to me is that there are other Colossus that never made it into the game uh, by the developers, but there's little hints of them outwards and even scattered across the world that you're playing in. You see little hints of classes that maybe were already destroyed and then that adds to the question of by who for what purpose and so that to me if you're role-playing through this game and you're we've you're setting up these thematic elements as we've talked about like who is it that tried to accomplish this goal that you're going for as pcs in this game before why did they do it and why did they fail could lead to some really interesting, once again, role-playing discussion as you're traveling along this dark path. Which leaves me. So I'm going to take the soapbox of games being an art form, and I'm going to break it in half, because <laughs> it is just an insane conversation that doesn't need to happen. Like, they just, what we've already done, and the fact that it's not, I mean, if you want to say this, is not necessarily even a modern game. You know, we're not talking about, like, the latest gen this is from 15 years ago and like that's the way stories were and what they've become like the voice acting come to find out recently it's one of the only places that still uses actual orchestras to build their music because they're the it's the only thing that can get that flow the right way so that's what i've got games are 100 percent an art form and that's all there is to that Amen to that. <laughs> All right. So the last thing that we're going to do is if anybody has any homework, this might be a little bit harder because I think we would all say the biggest thing here 
is go play Shadow <laughs> of the Colossus if you yeah. haven't. Yeah. And hopefully uh, you you haven't listened to this episode and you're not listening to my voice right now if you haven't played it because we talked about spoilers. But if you are, still go and play it because it is amazing and an immersive experience. And I can almost guarantee as a dungeon master playing that game, you will want to go forth and play a Shadow of the Colossus-like campaign. But are there other... Does anybody else have anything else that is Shadow of the Colossus-esque that our listeners, if they want to check out more, this might be another place for them to go? I'll go ahead and take the... Um, since, you know, my, my area of expertise is for video games, I'll go ahead and take the other things related to or similar to Shadow of the Colossus route on this. Boss Fight Books has made... Uh, one of the books that they've done digging really deep into a game is On Shadow of the Colossus, and I definitely recommend that. It's it's pretty good. Of course, there is a lot of other, you know, my video on Shadow of the Colossus is far from the only one. This game's been picked apart a million times, so looking up more resources on that. But I think the best thing I can recommend if you're looking for more things that give uh, similar inspiration is to play the other games by Team Ico and Fumito Ueda. Um, Ico was made before Shadow of the Colossus, though technically takes place hundreds of years after it. And it's very... It's a very... Di all three of these games are very different in a lot of ways, but very similar in others, too. The, the minimalistic storytelling, few characters, little dialogue, a lot of surmising things from the environment, and a, lo a lot of peace. Ico is mostly about holding a girl's hand and taking her safely through a castle... And then The Last Guardian is sort of similar to that, but more uh, like you have this giant animal companion with you, this adorable bird dog thing. There'd probably be a lot of interesting stuff to take from that about building uh, like interesting NPC animal companion type things, because Trico in that game is a marvel of, of creature design and endearment. All of these games are very, like, they're kind of awkward, could be kind of hard to get into if you're used to the smoothest, most you know, snappy controls and stuff like that, but they're all absolutely worth playing if you can take some inspiration from Shadow of the Colossus. I think for me, I would say, take the idea of Shadow of the Colossus that we've talked about, where you're looking at battle in a very different way, looking at these ginormous creatures as a setting more than, as a challenge, more than a uh, rolling attack damage, trying to take them down, having a battle map, Take that idea and take a look at really anything that you have out there with kaijus, Godzilla, things like that. And instead of thinking, mm. oh, let's stat this kaiju out, think big battle, but more of a climbing the mountain, challenging setting, figuring out the puzzle of its weak points and how to take them down. I think there's a lot of kaiju stuff out there that you could kind of just tweak in your mind of, how that battle goes to be more Shadow of the Colossus-esque, and I think that's a lot of great inspiration. Boom. Okay, time to blow your mind. If you go to the internet and you search Reach of Titan, you will find a Kickstarter that was fully funded and extra for a game built by Jim McClure, who we've had on before. I've been on his podcast. Uh, really good designer. And the three pillars of that game are settlement building, titan hunting, and titan killing. And so it's basically a 100% RPG. Uh, well, I'll give it 90. I don't want to speak too far, but 90% <laughs> 
homage to what Shadow of the Colossus is and what it feels like. And you, know, and you need to research before you can even make the attempt at killing these Titans. And like I said, it's been fully funded. I've heard whispers that there might be some adaptions for 5e, but you know, it is it is a fully fleshed out RPG system in and of itself that you could go and kill Titans who look like and just scream Colossi. Perfect. So that is our discussion on Shadow of the Colossus as bringing it from a game on a whatever platform you're playing it and moving it over to be inspiring us to make D&D campaigns and adventures. I think we've had a lot of great discussion. Sam, if our listeners want to go and check out more things that you do, where can they find you at? Well, the main thing is, of course, the YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash games as literature. And uh, if, if you want to try checking that stuff out, I recommend looking at the long literary analysis videos, finding one on a game that you like and starting there. Uh, the newer, the better, because the old stuff is not as good. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Twitter, at Games as Lit. Uh, there's a Facebook page, um, which I think is also just Games as Literature. If you search it, you'll find it. I mean, yeah, that's the main stuff. And, of course, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see, you know, when I'm streaming on Twitch or uh, guesting on other podcasts or anything like that. So that's the main thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode we yes, hope to have you. you back sometime in the future to talk about another game. Yeah, I know. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now, let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, where we take your stories, ideas, and questions that you, the listener, send in. So they talk about our Creature Conversations episode, and they actually kind of told the story of how they use some of the dumb beasts as we affectionately called them in the podcast and that is kind of something we had shied away from but their use of it is absolutely amazing because their hexblade warlock has the beast speech invocation and so every week the players basically try and find and interrogate mainly just apparently to hear hilarious animal voices but <laughs> Some of their favorites are the chicken obsessed with corn, paranoid <laughs> bats who worship Strahd, a Brooklyn finch, and termites who can only chant wood, 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 wood. <laughs> so just awesome uses of the idea of letting kind of the world be this place to get more information. They say that they do half truths and you know, I mean, the way that a dumb beast thinks about things isn't going to convey a lot and there's not this big back and forth so basically it kind of just you're scrying into the world of beasts to see what you can get back through the beast speech invocation oh my gosh i don't i don't know really what i have to say about this except that i love it i mean i think talk with animals is a spell that doesn't get used far enough mm. uh, coupled with talk with plants uh, I want, as a dungeon master, to be able to have to come up with what is it that those termites are thinking? Like, that sounds so much fun. It's really bring, bringing to the table what D&D is all about, just having a good time, laughing with the friends. Uh, and, yeah, hearing those termites chant, would, 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 it's a great memory. Like, yeah. do it more. Have 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 the PCs cast talk with animal more. Get to know what the animals of your world, the dumb beasts, as uh, we've said before, get to know what they're thinking. 
It may yeah. not be a lot, but get to know it. Definitely. And some of the actual plays I've listened to, some of the best moments or funniest moments rather, but still useful are when you know, a character will cast speak with plants or speak with animal. So definitely add more into your game. So thank you, DM Grapes, for that awesome email. We want to thank Sam again for joining us on this episode to talk about Shadow of the Colossus. Man, love that game. Love the discussion we had. Neil, I hope that this this discussion has put a fire under you to get that game and to start playing it immediately. I will have to. I will, I will get my horse and I will ride. And then I will kill Colossi. <laughs> Perfect. And feel, and feel bad doing it. <laughs> Neil, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us and tell us about a Shadow of the Colossus-like challenge or encounter that they've run for their players, where can they reach us at? You can always head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you liked this episode or any of the other ones and see fit, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, which we'll read on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. That's at DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have updates about the show, our Patreon rewards, and all around D&D goodness. We have our Patreon shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon shout-out goes to... Richard Landry! Yes. Thank you so much, Richard. Yep. Really appreciate your support of the show. Richard is a dreaded bronze dragon, so thank you. We've met you at a catacomb. You're a great guy, and just thanks for, for taking this step to support the block party. Yes. Thank you. But as always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like We're So Bad at Adventuring, Dungeons and & Dragons and & Daughters, Geek Wars, and more. But that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch reminding you to keep on Dungeon Mastering.